Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Thank you, Josh, for leading us in that time. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Acts. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 1. This is our second week in the book of Acts. And I thought I had fixed my notes, but they are not working. So we'll go without today. <laughs> um, good times, technology, you got to love it. Um, anyways, from recollection, I do remember that I was going to do a recap um, of, over the last couple of weeks um, as we started the book of Acts. And so um, just to get you caught up, this will probably be the last kind of recap that we do uh, just since we're still in the, the beginning here at chapter one um, as far as doing a recap of the whole thing so far. Um, the first week what we looked at was um, just this idea of how God is um, establishing and planting the body of Christ, the church, the, the group of believers that he is going to um, empower in order to continue his mission and ministry um, in, in all of the earth. And so we, we kind of read the first eight verses of Acts in the first week and kind of did a little introduction of that. Um, but we really hinged it on uh, verse 8, which uh, was that we will be witnesses, that we will receive power, and that we will be um, ministering in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And, and that week was the week that I showed the timeline um, that literally started from A.D. 30 with Jesus' crucifixion and ascension, and then him giving the kind of the charge, the, lead, the mission to the disciples and telling them you are to go and to make disciples um, of all nations, and not only that, but you're going to be my witnesses while you're there, and there's going to be power that's going to fall on you from the Holy Spirit. And, and so he gave them that charge, and what we saw from A.D. 30 all the way until we traced it to the district church here was the movement of the gospel. And so we, as we're walking through this book of Acts, um, what we're going to see in the book is literally the gospel starting in Jerusalem. The first 12 chapters is just us literally seeing in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. And then in chapter 13, you're going to start to see this shift due to the scattering of the disciples, the persecution that's happening. The gospel begins to spread outward from Jerusalem and begin hitting parts of Judea and Samaria. And you actually see the center of operations of Christianity shift from Jerusalem to Antioch um, in order for there to be more empowering going on amongst the believers to get the gospel out even further. Um, and for them in their day and age, when they considered the ends of the earth, that was kind of Rome. Rome was kind of the ends of earth for them. They, they wanted to get to Rome. Paul's big charge, as you'll see in all of his letters, is I can't wait to get to Rome because for him, Rome is the capital of the Roman Empire at the time. That's who's ruling everybody during that time. And so if he could get there, that's kind of the center of the entire world. Influence, um, resources, economy, everything's being driven out from Rome. And so if they can get the gospel to Rome and the gospel began multiplying and planting within Rome, then you're going to see the entire world 
uh, changed and transformed. And we actually kind of see the fruit of that in AD 325 and 326 when um, Constantine at the time legalized Christianity in the Roman Empire because it had become 51% Christian at the time. So now Christianity, just in a, in a span of 300 years, had literally impacted the entire Roman Empire to the point of becoming the majority-based movement or belief system um, that was going throughout the entire Roman Empire. And so a lot of times people kind of say, um, Constantine made Christianity because when he legalized it, it just flourished even that much more. Um, and, and I kind of like to see it the other way. Like if you're, if you're leading a country and the majority is starting to view something or, or, or starting to walk in something that might be contrary to what you believe, typically politicians are going to go that way. They're going to go with the majority um, in order to not get, you know, shanked or stabbed behind their back um, when it comes to the, the community around them. Um, and so I like to say more so Christianity made Constantine um, as far as who he is and, and his legacy that this world um, views him in. Um, I'm just going to go and close this. I'm going to keep looking down at a blank screen. Um, but anyways, um, so that was AD 325, and then it just kept spreading from there. And what we looked at that first week was, okay, now that we've seen that the gospel ultimately has reached uh, to us planting the district church, uh, the kind of charge for that, that final uh, message on that Sunday was, so what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us individually as a believer in Christ? What does that mean for us as a church? Um, this is a church plant, if you didn't know, which means it is in progress. It is processing. It is, it is at its growing pains. It's got frustrations at times. It's got great times. Uh, there, there's, there's a process here. And so what we're asking of our people is to not just say that we hope that the staff figure it out, we hope that the systems figure it out, but rather this is kind of all hands on deck. This is each one of us flourishing in our relationship with Christ and, and seeing the gospel continue to plant roots within our hearts and within our minds is going to be the thing that reproduces because it's producing within you a joy, a gladness of heart. It's producing in you a greater delight in the Lord and who he is. And people that are delighting in the Lord, people who are experiencing him in a greater way, are going to use that source, use that, that, that new drive, that new angst, that new, that, that new um, push to be able to take the gospel out. Um, to be able to see, not only am I experiencing this beautiful thing, but I want other people to experience that beautiful thing too. And so as we've literally traced for the last 2,000 years, the gospel pushing forward has primarily been because groups of people are experiencing the gospel and experiencing what it does in changing and transforming their lives and treasuring Christ above all. I mean, that's if there's one message that we push and push and push is not come because of music or come because of a personality or come because of branding or come because of location or anything like that, but rather come because we put at the forefront, we treasure Christ above all. We want Jesus in our minds. We want Jesus in our hearts. We want Jesus in our spirits and our identities. We want Jesus in our kids. We want Jesus in our neighbors. We want Jesus anywhere and everywhere. Because if we're not planting Jesus, and that's what we're going to get at looking at today, if we're not focusing and treasuring him above all, then we're not planting a church. Because the church is for Jesus. 
The church is all about him. It's all about who he is, what he's done, what he's taught, how he loves, how he serves, all of those things. And so above all, what we want, with, and we kind of mentioned like the dash between the years of your birth and your death, that dash is to magnify the name of Jesus, to lift him up, to serve him, to love him, to cherish him, and to treasure him above all. And that's what we want to focus on as a church. That's what's going to allow the district church to fulfill the role God has placed on us as a mission, as a people of God who love and cherish his son, Jesus. And so last week we talked about God has a plan for that. He has a way in which he wants to flow that out. And so we, we looked at Acts 1, uh, um, 1 through 11 or 1 through 14 and literally walked through the fact that um, there's a power that's at play here. Um, so it's not just, okay, figure it out, church. Like, put, pull your strengths together, pull your skills together, and, and put the best people in places, and then just let the thing roll. Like, this isn't just trying to hire people for an organization and then let that organization run and flourish, but rather there's a specific power that's at play, the Holy Spirit. When he tells us in Acts 1, verse 8, that the power, um, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will receive power in order to be witnesses. That power is dunamis. That's where we get the word dynamite from in the Greek. That power is, is, is literally the ability for us to be able to go counter-cultural to um, um, the, the community and culture around us when they're wanting to trust the world and wanting to trust worldly things in order to provide hope and satisfaction for them. What we're doing is we're coming in and saying, those things don't work. Jesus works. We're going counter to their arguments and sometimes that's going to receive persecution. Sometimes that's going to receive opposition. Um, sometimes that's going to receive um, strain on you emotionally and on you physically at times. And what we're saying is, is the Holy Spirit is providing strength and power in those moments for us to be able to carry out the mission of God, to be witnesses of Him. And so the witness part was in our purpose. Um, so there's power and then there's purpose. And the purpose is for us to experience Jesus, to know him in a personal way, to know what he's done for us, what he's provided for us every single day, to see how God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son are literally making provision for our families. They're placing you in the neighborhoods where you're at. They're placing you in the jobs where you're at. They're placing you in the relationships that you're in in order for you to be a witness for them, in order for you to be able to say, um, yeah, there used to be a time in my life where I did not have hope. I did not have satisfaction. I did not have these things. And I was looking in all the wrong places for these things. But when I met Jesus, all of a sudden now I'm able to live with satisfaction because it's in Christ alone. I'm able to live with joy because I'm not trying to find it from the world that doesn't offer it. But I'm able to find it in Jesus who offers it. And so I, I'm a witness to him that he is the greatest thing that has ever walked this earth, that he is the greatest thing in all of eternity. And so we're witnesses of his. And then the plan at the end was the people that are involved in it. We looked at the fact that there were 11 disciples by the end of this um, chapter who were, who were left. We know Judas was the one who, who betrayed, and we're going to be looking at that passage today. But there were 11 apostles who were gathering together with the women and with the mother of Jesus, Mary, and with his brothers as well. And they were gathering in the upper room, and they were praying together. 
And so for our plan as a church and how we're going to plant this thing and how we're going to continue to grow this thing is we're going to be people known for prayer. And so we finished out the service last week grouping up into little groups of three and four people. And let's pray. If, if that was good enough for the early apostles and for the early believers to, to see this movement go forward is to first come to the one who's going to do the movement, well, then let's be people who are going to pray. If we want to see the gospel change and transform Indianapolis and we want to play our part in that, then we've got to be people who are praying, who are, Lord, your will be done, not my will be done. Lord, change and transform the anxieties in my heart when it comes to this. Change and transform the, the weaknesses that I have in regards to this. If there's incompetencies that I have, Lord, come in and strengthen those. Give me the skills. Give me the knowledge. Give me whatever I need in order to see the gospel proclaimed and the gospel to grow in our church as we Pour, uh, as we pour into one another, as we love one another, as we commune with one another, as we get together in our groups throughout the weeks, and as we have long and deep conversations, as we pray for each other, Lord, strengthen us to be able to, be, to get better at doing that. And then at the same time, outside of that, it's kind of what we call in-reach, is like, is, is we don't want to just gather people and forget about you and then keep focusing on those outside of, of the walls. But God, we want to see the ones inside the walls. We want to see the people in our church grow in the relationship with you. And so strengthen us to be able to do that. And then at the same time, because we know that healthy things reproduce, healthy marriages reproduce. They have kids. Like this is, this is good and right things. And so healthy believers reproduce. They're going to share that gospel with others and see others come into the family of God. And so God, strengthen us in our communication and how we um, talk to people who are not a part of the church, how we talk to our neighbors and our coworkers and so forth. And so that's what we looked at over the last couple of weeks is, is God's plan for how he establishes the church. And what we're going to look at today is, um, is really just a, a unique passage that's kind of sandwiched in between two establishing of the churches because we still haven't got to the actual establishing of the church yet. This will be at Pentecost in the weeks to come, the next two weeks as we move into chapter 2. But there's this verses 15 through 26 that we're going to look at today that's a really um, just interesting point. So again, you're there in Acts. I'm done with the long recap. And uh, let me get there. Acts chapter 1 will be in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. If you ever under, underline or highlight or anything like that in your Bibles, underline that part right there that the scripture had to be fulfilled. This is going to be one of our points. Which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. 
and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. That would be the second point for today. So if you underline or highlight, um, underline that. There must be, um, where'd he go? Verse 22, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Verse 23, and they put forward to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Um, again, very interesting um, just passage here to include when, when you're kind of highlighting the planting and expansion and plan for the first church. And then chapter 2 is going to be the entire uh, rolling out and unveiling of, of that literal event that's going to happen and so then why bring back up this idea of one of the original guys, one of the original staff, if you want to put it that way, of the first church who basically has a moral failure. And so we talk about moral failures um, sometimes in our day and age, and, and the, the, the notes on this is staggering and, and in a lot of ways creates a lot of anxiety in my own life and my own self when it comes to the amount of pastors um, who, who have some type of moral failing. And when we usually think moral failing, we think of um, some type of sexual sin or affair that happens. But there's a lot of other types of moral failings within the church when it comes to pastors as well. There's, there's um, dealing with money poorly, um, abuse of authority, and you can go on and on. This is a moral failing that happens with this first group. Um, Judas was literally like the, the accounting guy on staff. He, he's the one who carried the money back. He was the one who was in control of it at all times. He was the one that was um, basically putting together if they were going to sell any possessions. He's the one saying, here's how much you should sell. Like he's the first Craigslist that was out there is going around telling people, this is what we're going to take for oil. This is what we're going to take for sandals. This is what, and we're going to compile that money. We're going to put it in a money bag. And then I'm going to kind of control that that in order to distribute it. Um, you actually see his sin multiple times in the scriptures where um, they're wanting to, this, this woman literally comes and she wants to place her oil um, on Jesus' head and on his feet and she wants to wash them with her hair. And, and Judas is like, do you, do you know how much money that oil was? You're wasting it right now. And Jesus is like, seriously, like she's serving me and you're complaining about how much money we could have made on this oil. And, and even within that sin, we just know that Judas at the same time was always taking for himself out of this money bag. So he's, he was trying to profit off of, his, off of the gain of the ministry. And, and I've seen that countless times before in churches. And I think this is one of the main reasons why this is brought up in this passage is to see that your confidence in a church should never be based on who's up front, who's on staff, who's in leadership. Never base your confidence, never base your um, view of the effectiveness of the ministry based on who's up front. 
And the reason why I say that is because anybody who ever gets up front, anyone who ever preaches, anyone who ever leads music, anyone who's operating from behind the scenes, whether it's managing and administrative ministries, they're broken people. I'm broken, Josh is broken, Aaron's broken, like our, our staff is broken. People are broken. And so the way God establishes the church is, hey, let's get some broken people who have weaknesses so that I can exercise my strength, so that I can step in and be God. Like, like he, his whole thing is not this um, elementary-aged uh, kickball tournament where you line everybody up and Jesus is just walking down going, uh, you are going to hit a home run, so you're on my team. Um, you're fast, so come over. Like He's not walking through history picking people like that. Rather, what Jesus is doing is he's, because he knows everything, he's like, okay, which, which are going to be the ones picked last here? And I want them on my team. I mean, so many times you see throughout the scriptures, and we'll see this in the weeks to come, how these disciples, every time they go into the city, people are like, how do they have power? These are uneducated men. Like, basically, people are looking at them saying, these guys are stupid. How are they doing what they're doing? And it's able for them to be witnesses, to be able to say, look how good and big and rich God is because of what the movement is, is producing and what's happening here. And so they're able to then look at God and say, wow, God's an awesome God. He's a big God. He's a powerful and omnipotent God. And so we want to trust and serve that God because look what he's done with this kind of group of morons over here. And so that, that gives me rest that he's able to put together a group of morons and be able to come together and say, hey, let's do something big in Indianapolis. Let's plant the gospel here. And for those that just joined our leadership team, I'm not calling you morons either. I'm just saying, like, side point. So anyways, God puts this together. And so Judas is the first kind of moral failure within the status of the church. And the reason why I think they bring this, this to view is two points. And these are two things that the Spirit does. And the best way I can say this is this is God showing a confidence in who He is and what He is planning to do that cannot be thwarted by anything that we do ourselves. Best way I can say it is last week we talked about um, the idea of the Christian life being a holding hands with God, holding hands with the Father, walking down the road, and just knowing that like when you look up at the Father, like there's this gentleness on his face. There's this spirit of lovingness and kindness that he's expressing. There's this, there's this grip in which he's holding us where it's like I feel safe. I feel good. I feel restful here. Um, this, is, this is a good thing. And then there's moments where the Holy Spirit clothes us with power. And the, the, the Father lifts us up and he brings us in and he kisses us and he twirls us around. And, and those are those moments where it's kind of heightened awareness as to what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives. And I pray for those moments at all times. But the reality is, is those moments aren't going to happen at all times. Because as the Spirit twirls us around and brings us in and kisses us and loves us, he puts us back down and he continues to walk with us. And what I think this passage is showing us today is there's moments in our life where as we're walking hand in hand with the Father, I think there's going to be times where we might see somebody that, that comes into the scene, might be um, just picture in your mind this kind of 
um, strangly guy with crazy hair. His eyes are bloodshot red, and he kind of comes out of the alley, and he stands in front of you, and he's looking at you. And there's, as a child, you're kind of like fearful. You're, you're anxious. You're not sure how this is going to go. And so when you look up at your father at that moment, do you want to see the loving, kind of gentle, kind of kindness of God? Or do you want to look up and see a God who is determined with confidence that he's going to protect you and that he's going to step in front of you and that he's going to take care of what he's going to take care of? And I think this is one of those moments in Scripture where the Father, that, that grip that we're holding, that grip becomes a little bit tighter and firmer. And he, he pulls us kind of behind him and he looks at this person in front of us and says, I'm God. There's nothing that you're going to do to harm this person. There's nothing that you're going to do to be able to harm me. We're going to walk through this, and we're going to get to the other side, and we're going to make sure that what I want to accomplish is going to get accomplished. That's what I want to see in God when I come to a situation that I think everything's going to fall apart or everything's going to go the wrong way or everything's going to, to ultimately lead into some type of harm or destruction. And so what he's doing here is Judas has been with them for three years. I mean, he's a best friend to some of these guys. I mean, he's on, he, he's in the inner circle of Jesus. Yet he himself, not a believer, never ultimately trusting in this process, trusting in his own gain, using Jesus for his own gain. And with him going astray, it would be easy for people to look at this system, look at this organization and say, I don't know if this is going to work right. I don't know if this is going to work out. And, and ultimately what we see here is the spirit and the first one saying that this had to happen in order for the scriptures to be fulfilled. Verse 16, there is an invincible purpose the spirit of God has that cannot be thwarted by anything that we do or act in in our own sin. Our sin cannot thwart the purpose and will and plan that God has in store. That gives me rest. That gives me confidence knowing that even though we're a bunch of morons, even though we're a bunch of people who are going to fail and stumble and, 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 and walk through life making horrific mistakes at times, God, the one that we look up to, has an invincible plan and will that he is going to make sure comes to fruition and is going to happen. These scriptures that were mentioned here, there were two um, from the mouth of David. One, and I'm trying to draw from recollection here, I believe one is in Psalm 109 and I believe the other is in Psalm 69, but I could be wrong on those, so don't quote me on it. Um, but those are the two here, one concerning um, Judas, that for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. And then the other that being that there had to be the field, basically let the camp be desolate. And so those two passages uh, are literally hundreds of years before Judas. Coming from the mouth of David, the Spirit of God inspiring him to say, there's going to come a guy who's going to royally mess it up, but that's a prophecy in which we are that we are proclaiming today, several hundred years ago, before this. And so Judas's part was just showing that even in the intricacies of the mess God has a specific plan in which he's going to work that out 
we cannot thwart the, the promises of God. We cannot thwart the plans of God. We cannot screw it up. And that gives me rest, guys. That should give you rest that the pressure to nail it all the time is not on you. It's not on you. God knows exactly how he wants to work in your life. And, I, and I've been saying this over the last couple of weeks. is like every moment in your life, every conversation, every time you open up the word, every time you go to prayer, every time you interact with somebody um, of the faith, every time you're interacting and, and communing with God, abiding in him, he's doing 10,000 things in your heart and your mind that you do not see right now. His plans cannot be thwarted by us because he is a sovereign God whom we love and we trust and we rest in what he is accomplishing. The second thing, verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, uh, yes, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one dwell in it. That's the first one. And let, there, let another take his office. From the very get-go, God knew Judas is going to be who he is and that there was going to need to be someone take his office now my question is when you're starting a church when you're at 120 people as it as it says here like there's stats on church planning right now that's like um, you should have like one full-time staff member for every 150 people in your church and then you should you know slowly start adding from there like there's 120 people at this first gathering when Peter gets up and just begins teaching them 120 people, there's 11 guys on staff. I mean, those are good numbers. I mean, they're sticking to the Jesus numbers. Like, Jesus grabbed 12, let's grab 11 or 12 each. Like, that's what they're looking at here. And so, like, my thing is, like, why do you need to replace them? Why do you need another guy in this? And, and the reason why I think they're, they're looking at bringing in another guy is because the Spirit's role and planting the church is to make sure that everything is being driven back to Jesus. And the reason why I say that is specifically the way it describes the type of guy who has to be replaced by Judas is one, as you'll see here, is one who has been with them the entire time. Now, the first time I read that, I, I kind of thought, I, I've always pictured... Jesus going and calling the 12 disciples, and this just three or 12 guys that he's spending three years with. And I know there's always the talks of, of the masses that he would, you know, break bread and feed 5,000 with a, with a lunch. Um, there's, there's the other 4,000 that he fed, and then there's the miracles where people are just coming around. So there's kind of this like unique gathering that's kind of following him as well, but there's never really known how many people were always kind of following behind, and Jesus would always try to do his best to kind of get away from them at often times. And so there was never really a number on it, but there was apparently in this scripture with these two guys, Barsabbas and Matthias, that from Jesus' baptism up until Jesus' ascension, they witnessed everything. And so there were more than just the 12 who had access to be able to see and participate with anything and everything that was going on. And so my just invitation within that is, um, it, it's, it's, it's not just me and Josh figuring this out. Like the invitation is, 
Everybody, come in and see who Jesus is, what he's doing, what he's accomplishing, and let us be able to offer opportunities to empower you to be able to exercise the ministry, to be able to express and to be able to love others well. And so jump in with us, because apparently there's more than just the 11 or 12 in this first three years of Jesus' ministry. Now, the main point to mention there, that's side point, the main point to mention there is that this guy that, that's going to be replaced is not just someone who just came on board and was like, okay, can you catch me up to speed real quick? This is a guy who's been with Jesus. He's been with Jesus, and the main reason why the Holy Spirit is wanting them to replace Judas with a guy who's been with Jesus is because he's going to be able to share everything he knows about Jesus. When, he prom when Jesus promises that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to bring you remembrance of all that I taught you and all that I've done with you, this guy is going to be able to have remembrance because he was there. And so there's an invincible plan and purpose in which God is establishing the church and is, his will is not going to be thwarted. And then the other role that the Spirit is doing with this church is he is un wavering in his pursuit of us knowing Jesus, knowing the God-man Jesus, elevating Jesus, exalting Jesus, knowing how he taught, what he saw, what he loved, how he served, all of those things, so that Matthias, as he is now coming on staff of this first church and becoming one of the apostles and being able to now be a leader of leaders, being able to go into these these regions and be able to share the gospel, he's going to be a guy who says, I was there when Jesus got baptized. I was there when Jesus was getting persecuted. I was there when Jesus was uh, feeding the 5,000. I was there when he was, like his confidence in the person and work of Jesus is unwavering because he was present. He was there. And to me, that is the Spirit's role in constantly saying, we're going to plant this church and we're going to make sure the Godhead, the Trinity, we are going to make sure that they get it right on Jesus. So who do we have in the group who's been with him the entire time? He's going to take the office of Judas. And what we want to do as a church today is that's what we want to look for. Who's been with Jesus? I, I, you, I know you're not time travelers. I'm not talking first century like you were walking with him. Like, I'm not, you didn't poke his side and this. Like, I'm saying, like, who's with Jesus? Who's abiding in Jesus? That series we did back in the summertime. I know it's not up on the website anymore, but like, if we can figure out a way to get it back up on the website, I would love to do that. But just walk through that series with us again, where we spent three months looking at 17 verses of what it means to abide in Christ. To love Him, to pursue Him as He's loving and pursuing us. Because for us to be able to see this church strengthen is by individuals being with Jesus. Treasuring Him above all. Seeing Him for who He is. And ultimately seeing Him for what He's willing to lay down His life what he's willing to do to see this church get planted in Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth and to Indianapolis 
into your specific neighborhood, into your home, see this church be planted. Because planting a church is just people having the gospel planted in their hearts and seeing that increase their affections and their delight in the Lord. And then that expresses itself out to those around them as the gospel continues to advance. And what we get to rest in today, guys, I'm going to go ahead and have the band come down. What we get to rest in today is knowing that we serve a God who's in control of this church so much so that he has a specific plan, purpose, and will that we cannot screw up. So yes and amen to that. doesn't matter how many times every two weeks we get together and we plan and we strategize. He's got something that he specifically wants to do, and we can't mess that up. So yes and amen. God, you're good. Thank you for that. And the second thing is, is that he's putting people in place who are walking with Jesus, who are abiding in Christ, who are fulfilling roles in which they're allowed to be empowered with the gift of ministry to see this thing flourish. And so we're looking, we're looking for people to be group leaders. We're looking for people to enter into discipling relationships. We're looking for people to lead music. We're looking for people to, man, to disciple our kids. Man, to be a part of that ministry. Like what's happening literally on the other side of that wall right now is, is not glorified child care, although it feels like that so many times. What's happening on the other side of that wall right there is discipling of children who have never heard of Jesus because one's three months old over there. He's just out of the womb. Like he's just born. Like he, he needs to hear Jesus. And yeah, he's going to be hearing it from me and Kelsey, but he needs to hear it from you guys too. And so not only are you serving parents by discipling kids in there every Sunday, but you're serving those kids by teaching them Jesus. I want them to never know a day without loving Christ. I pray that for their testimony. Man, jump in, serve. And let's just see what Jesus does with this thing. The way I want to finish out with communion, I, I love what we did last week. And so since we're, since we're still not at Pentecost yet, they're still in the upper room praying. <laughs> so what we're going to do is, um, is I'm going to have them come down front, grab the communion stuff. As you get up and as you go and as you um, get the chip and dip it in the juice, we're not fancy here with communion, so it's just a little chip and juice. As you grab the chip and as you dip it in the juice, what I want you to do is I want you to go again, find three to four people. You can five, six, whatever. But get in groups and let's close this thing out praying together. Lord, thank you for having a plan and purpose in which you are going to establish this thing. And God, let us be people who are said of that we're with Jesus, that we're abiding in him. So let's pray for those things as we take communion together in groups of three to four. So let's do that in this time. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at